spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Andian from Spoken Label. A spoken Label was originally set up at the beginning of 2016 and records show it started off really as a one-off podcast chatting to writers, poets and artists. Over time, it became monthly, then weekly and occasionally nowadays it goes on that to a more regular basis. To date, I've done over 330 sessions and I'm always looking for new poets, writers, artists, singer-songwriters, general interesting creative people to come onto the podcast. You can find this on all the usual networks over Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay and dozens of others. But it does have a central database of spoken label, which is all one word, dot bandcamp.com. Obviously now, to help me with the running costs of this podcast, I'm always grateful for any kind of donation to assist me with it. You can either do the donation through the Bandcamp page by putting in a fee to download one of the free podcasts, or send it over to my PayPal to aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. My email address again is aen1mpo at yahoo.co.uk. Enjoy the podcast. Take care. Bye. Spoken hey guys, and the end. Spoken label. Back in the house Sunday afternoon. It's cold again today. It's really cold. But we're over to see one of our old friends today from Spoken Label. And I have not spoke to this gentleman. Ooh. About a year, and his dear, dear friend of mine, Amanda's, we have the fantastic and utterly, definitely one-off Richard Harris. Richard, how are you going, my friend? Hi, I'm fine. Um, I've just recovered from getting bloody COVID again. You know. Oh no, you said you said yeah. Yes. Uh, oh no. We spoke briefly last Sunday, and I was a bit dopey. And the reason why is because on Monday I came down with COVID, you know. Um, and you think it's all gone, but it hasn't, and it's it's rife. But fortunately, with all these vaccines and things, you know, it's just a really nasty week, isn't it? You know, um, and I'm better now, and I'm I'm actually going out. I mean, you're allowed to go out with COVID on day one, as long as you don't get near people. And um, yeah. if you think about going into a supermarket, how do you manage not to get near people? You know, so hey, I you need to put a sign on your chest saying, "I've got COVID." Keep clear. <laughs> yeah. Zoom well, I, 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 but Pete, you, you're looking at something and somebody leans right over you, you know, and coughs in your face. Um, so I was very good and I stayed in. Um, 
uh, I stayed in Monday to Friday and I'd blown clear negative, you know, negative two days. Um, so um, it's been tiring um, getting that again. Um, but uh, here we are doing my first podcast of the year, which is very nice. I've got various gigs coming up and I'm being booked for a festival in, um, uh, well, it's at ooh, March, I think, or April. It's in well, the diary. Uh, I'm, I'm very good at having the electronic diary. Without that, I'd be hopeless because being <laughs> retired, uh, I'm 72 in a few weeks and being retired, of course, every day is Sunday. You know, exactly. I, I just go and do what I want. It's absolutely delightful. Any of you that thinking I'll be bored when uh, I'm retired, you won't. No, yeah, no, 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 no. It's absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely Brilliant. fantastic. Brilliant. Yes. Now, we'd better backtrack, Richard, obviously, mate, because obviously there will be one or two people that obviously haven't, don't know who you are from all the readings you do, Zoom and in person, and also this podcast. So tell us a look at, just do it briefly, because obviously we want to talk about your books and future plans today more um well give us a little um, bit about your background about yourself as a person where your writing came from well um i've always written um and i had an uncle who was a london journalist with a big friend of marge proops uh oh. if, if, if she's not before your time no i know uh, i've heard of marge he then proops, became yeah. public re wow. public relations for the not only the athletics association but also for uh, the labor party and he was their pr man and you know, he read everything so that, for example, if Sebastian Coe, who was another pal of his, um, if Sebastian Coe sued somebody in some obscure magazine for libeling him, it wasn't because Sebastian Coe sits and reads endlessly rubbish magazines. It's because someone is paid to do so and they get all the periodicals and journals and read them for libelous content. And uh, that was his job. And he always wow. encouraged me to write. Um, and um, I, he would have, it was a lovely, lovely man. I have three poems involving him. Um, and um, he encouraged me all the time. Um, and um, you will probably have heard me mention the singer Petula Clark uh, just once or twice. Right. Uh, I, have, I, have, <laughs> I have a passing interest in her. It's been passing since I was four. Um, and um, when CD started to arrive, um, it was really quite desperate um, to um, get her stuff out because they would, left to themselves, the record companies would just issue the greatest hits. And um, so... I started a campaign and we got various record companies to uh, issue her stuff and everything came out, all the B-sides, EP tracks, etc. And then I got hired as a sleeve note writer, freelance for about five record labels. And I wrote Helen Shapiro, Sandy Shaw, Melanie Safka, uh, Manfred Mann, Paul Jones, Dame Cleo Lane uh, and lots of Petula sleeve notes. So I, I had a discipline of writing um, and writing factually and concisely, really, and telling the story. Um, and um, so when I retired, um, I started write, writing poetry. I'd written some song lyrics a while ago, but never did anything with them. Um, they were meant for Kenny Thomas, the UK soul singer, but uh, 
because I thought, well, you can't send them to Madonna or Celine Dion because you know you'd never get them through to 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 them. But um, I I liked Kenny's stuff, and I, I did intend to send all these lo- love song lyrics to him, and never did. I've I've performed them as poems now, but <coughs> that was oh twenty years ago, and. Um, then when I retired, I started playing around writing poetry and um, there was never a decision. Let me start writing poetry. I just started doing it. And um, uh, after a couple of years, uh, we moved to Withensea on the East Coast. I've always lived in Yorkshire all my life um, and um, north, west and now east. And um, there's a, a folk club. In fact, I'm appearing there in a week's time. And my wife dragged me to it kicking and screaming because I thought it would just be a bad karaoke. And there were all sorts of people doing classic pieces, things like uh, Marriott Edgar, who wrote Albert and the Lion and things that Stanley Holloway made so famous. I realise this is before your time, but uh, this alive, I think. Um, And Kenneth Williams and and his Cold Wangler from, from the BBC radio shows Round the Horn. And... These monologues were being done, but nobody seemed to say who had written them. And I just thought that was odd, um, because if I did a piece, I would always want to acknowledge who wrote it. If it wasn't mine, it's so rare. You know, I mean, I almost never do anyone else's. Uh, But um, and people seemed to like what they were doing. But most people under 40 or maybe under 50 thought that they were actually performing their own work. And I thought, well, if they can do their work, uh, I can do mine. And so the next is once a month. Um, and the next time um, I went along with various poems, including an early one called Pirate Izzy, which is all about a game of pirates that my granddaughters and I played when they were toddlers. And um, uh, it went down a storm. I got like a standing ovation for, for Pirate Izzy. And it was really amazing and i thought oh, I, I have a little talent here this is something i can do because you know until you stand on stage for the first time you have no idea whether anybody else likes your stuff you know and um it, it was a very fast trap because within weeks i'd been invited well within moments i'd been invited to an open mic i didn't even know what an open mic was and it was a music <laughs> one but i went between the the singers and they all seemed to like it and then um, a quite a well-known folk singer called Katie Spencer, who at that, this point was a 14 or 15-year-old little girl singing uh, Dolly Parton songs. Um, and now she's nationally famous. Um, she's asked me if I'd come to a working men's club in Hull, so I, I did. And I made the most amazing band of friends there who are still all my friends. They're, they're more like grandchildren in a way. I'm sure they all think it because they're, they're 30 now. They were 20 then. Uh, and I'm over 70. It's really quite refreshing and different to be friends with you very young people that you wouldn't normally meet um and um within weeks i'd got a phone call saying could i go to the freedom festival which is a very big thing in hull and it's where Will, william wilberforce came from you see so we celebrate free freedom every year and they asked me uh, if i perform and suddenly instead of in a community village community hall with about 40 people i was in a marquee with about 800 people and it was really <laughs> this was all in wow. about five weeks um and when i got there <laughs> they said would i um go to their 
on-site recording studio and so I said of course I will I thought this is bizarre what's happening here so off I went and they said we've heard about this piratesy poem would you like to record it for us and I said yes so I recorded piratesy and um that year, in telephone boxes in Hull, which are yellow, the only yellow ones in the country, there was an independent non-GPO company. And of course, we don't have telephone boxes now, but uh, 15 years ago, which is what I'm probably talking, uh, they still had telephone boxes. And when you picked up the receiver to make a phone call that year, during the course of the festival, you didn't get brrrr, you got we were sitting on the old brown sofa settee. Pirate is he, Pirate Lara and me. <laughs> and, uh, and it was quite extraordinary. People still say, oh, I heard that poem. I went to make a phone call to my mum. And suddenly somebody was rabbiting on about pirates, you know, and it's, it is remembered. So that was quite a special um, uh, introduction to me. And um, I met a publisher at the York Literature Festival where I was appearing and she singled out my um, my poem about male breast cancer, A Tale of Warning for Men, uh, as being important and wonderful. And I got the honorary mention of the day. There were 24 poets and they only mentioned mine. Um, so I asked her if she'd publish me and she said no. And the conversation went on for about another six years and eventually she did. And she brought out my book, Awakening. And... Um, uh, I really had to persuade her and her husband. I did a BBC radio gig on Radio Humberside and that convinced them. So they contacted me and said, we'll publish you, which was nice that it finally came from them. And it was their bestseller of the year. Um, and she, Rose Drew, the publisher, keeps referring it to, as an over, to Awakening as an overwhelming success, which is a pretty good thing to have somebody say about your book and yeah. that came out during lockdown um which is bizarre not having a book launch or well i did have one but online you know but not actually in a pub or a cafe or a library or something like that um and then 18 months later out came iconic tattoo uh which was just as successful um and um it's amazing to me because on in my bucket list, I want to be old enough to know my granddaughters as young adults, and they're now uh, 13 and 14. So I would like to know them in their 20s. I would like to be at their weddings if they still have things in 10 years' time like that. Um, and I wanted a book published, and that really, I'm not hugely ambitious i don't need to do more i'm just amazed to be at 72 to be honest um my mother died at 50 and my father at 63 so it seems very strange to be older than your parents and substantially older than your parents you know yeah. um yeah, and I know. So my mum my mum's got to that stage now richard she has because she's older she was like she's older and both her parents were so yeah yeah, I know what you mean, mate. So, yeah, anyway, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's bewildering because when, when I, I was 13 when my mum died, and there's a lot about that in the poems, um, but uh, I thought, why her, why me? I thought it was like one of the worst times in my life, if not the worst time in my life, because she died of cancer and it was slow. And um, 
it never occurred to me to think how young, because it was, she was 50. It was two days after her 50th birthday. Uh, but at 13, 50, 50 seems vastly old. And when I first started working, I went to a job and um, there were people who were 50 and 55. And I thought, bloody hell, I'm 19, you know. this is, Why are these ancient people still working? Uh, and that's what you think when you're 19. And of course, they, they all wore grey suits and had dark blue ties and brill creamed hair parted at the side and they all looked substantially old you know um but of course when i got to 50 i thought you fool this is young <laughs> life has barely is started old. mate life has definitely barely started at 50 i'm 51 so i know that yeah so <laughs> yeah now obviously like you said before you've told us about your two books and stuff now tell us a little bit about the two themes in the two books and next richard please mate just a recap for people well, I'm a very, um, uh, ver is it versatile the word? I, I can write children, lovely, sweet children's stories. I write very rude, raunchy poems. Oh, I write sweary, <laughs> angry yeah. poems, particularly about politics. Um, and um, I can write daft comedy, um, which largely is not fictional because so many bizarre things happened in my life that, you know, it's, uh, it, I just don't need to write too much fiction although some of them are fictional um and so i i can do something that's you know a black lives matter tragedy and make people cry and then pull myself together and do a daft comedy so um they're quite varied i didn't i only put one comedy poem in awakening the first book because a lot of it is my voice and i i wave my arms and i gesticulate and then you know gurn and things like that and so i wasn't sure that they would work on paper and so i just put one into the first book and uh, everyone kept saying oh that's great that's lovely and then there are a couple of others that are quite well known for me and people are saying why aren't they in you know why didn't you put that in why didn't you there's one called uh, good intentions and um i get requested to perform it continuously and i kept getting people commenting why isn't good intentions there so i had to put that in the second book because there were people asking for it um and i i, I compiled what I thought at my time, and bear in mind this is five years ago, were my um, finest work, the ones I was happy with. And um, it was probably about 90 poems. And I selected um, for awakening the emotional ones, the ones that were desperately important to me that I wanted to be printed and out. Mm. Um, it wasn't a matter of the best and the worst. It was what were incredibly personal to me. And if only I ever got one book out, those were the ones I wanted out. So that came out. And so the rest of the pool, which were, I mean, one of them had won a prize, oh, various and had been published uh, in prize contests. Um, so it's not the quality, it's just that they're not always so intensely personal. And of course, when you submit a book, and when it gets published like 18 months later, uh, you've written more work. So in both of them are sl slotted in new but important to me poems, you know. Um, and so um, the second one is probably more varied than, than Awakening. But um, to me, they're just incredibly important. Um, Stairwell Books, who published me, have said they will publish two more, but 
they're at my age and uh, slowing down the winding down the business, not stopping by any means, but they are doing substantially less. Um, so it could well be four years with them. Um, and of course, I'd be 76 and 80 by the time they came out. And I'm not sure that I want to jump in the car and drive to Wolverhampton to vlog my books, you know, <laughs> at 80. So we'll have to see. Um, I have submitted them to other publishers who are interested. And we're talking, in fact, I've got a phone call on Thursday. You know, like you get a doctor's phone call. Yeah. Uh, I've now got a phone call appointment with a pub publisher on thursday no friday friday afternoon um and we're going to talk about um publishing the children's stories and Ooh. Um, Ooh. um they would i'm really pleased and proud of them I, I perform them in schools and at festivals and all over um they're rather blighton-esque in that they have um a tale where a problem happens but at the end there is a good ending and a moral to the tale, you know. Um, and so in that way, they're Blighton-esque. Um, I was told by um, <laughs> Rose uh, that I needed girls in the book, you know, for equality, inclusion and huh. everything. And in actual fact, because most of my, a lot of the poems were um, uh, inspired by the cute things that either great nephews and nieces or, um, my granddaughters have done that so I do have boys in the stories and a lot of them uh, are stories and poems that have come out of going to community fairs and having done pon stories about ponies and fairies and things like that then um, little boys have said do you have one about a viking or do you have one about a knight so uh, those have come out of it and in actual fact I don't write a lot of children's poems now, but when I do, I make sure they're about boys to even it up. And I, I cover all the all, all the um, ethnic background, so that's good. It's very inclusive. Good, good. No, that's good to me, that, mate, definitely. So, yeah, good luck, definitely, with that third book as well. So, now, you were telling me just off microphone before about the gig. You've got quite a few gigs booked in at the moment, haven't you, as well? I've got what, sorry? Got some gigs booked in, concerts, readings. Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I've got a, um, a festival coming up. That's the Springboard Festival at Cottingham near Hull. Um, and I, I've been going to Filey for years. Um, and, in fact, at one point, I was really their um, uh, poet in residence. Oh, brilliant. Um, and um, yeah, I've got... I'm. I'm appearing in brig next next week and in whole next week um so there's always things coming up you know and people asking me to do things oh brilliant no brilliant good luck well good luck definitely in the future that one richard anyway in concerts and also like you said your fingers crossed your third book as well then if it goes well that would, would be good if it happens but i'm really i'm at 72 and I, i'm happy i'm not going to get all bipolar and worried and um, think, oh, I must get another book out. Um, if we get more books out, absolutely fantastic, and I'll be delighted. But I've got two books out, which I think, for an older poet um, with a real publisher, I think it's an amazing achievement, and it just delights me. No, no, fair play. No, I agree with you completely on that one, mate. So 
And it. you can buy both both on Amazon and from Stairwell Books and from Barnes and Noble and virtually good books, good reads. They're on all of them. So you know, brilliant, brilliant. If you want people to get get in contact with you, Richard, how do you recommend they do it? Well, I, either via you if they're if they're in contact with you, um, yeah. or I'm on Facebook. But it's Richard Harries, H A R R I E S. It's a Welsh name. It's like Davis Davies Harris Harries. And for some reason, the Davies is all left Wales, and it's quite usual and accepted. But I have spent my entire life explaining that dummy in the end of my name. Oh, and yeah. if I had known at eighteen how many times I would have to explain it, I would have dropped it. Fair play. Obviously, not to be people are wondering as well, not to be confused with the Bishop of Oxford either, which I forgot about you, Tommy, after the first time I met you a couple of years ago as well. Well, I, I wondered if I'd have to use a pseudonym because he's a hugely published author and and um you know has adoring Anglican um, ladies who uh, put him on YouTube and all these things, you know. Um so uh yes. It's exactly the same, but he's now Baron Harry's of something unpronounceable. Um, so um, he's in the House of Lords now. He's, he's even older than me, I think. Um, but um, I, I did wonder whether it would be an issue, but it just doesn't seem to have been. Maybe I've sold a lot of poetry books to adoring Christian ladies who've been then uh, quite upset by the content. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? All I'm going to say is, well, let's hope it leads onto your third book, then, mate. Definitely all the adoring Christian ladies, then, basically. Yes. That one. So <laughs> we'll tell you why I found that, even so. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, Richard, we'll wrap up part one here, mate. I want to give you a bit of time for your poems in the second half, anyway, mate. Yeah. Brilliant, mate. So come back, everybody. Rich is great. I'll see right. you all in two minutes. Spoken label. Hey guys, Sandy End, Spoken Label. The legendary, I, I like that word legendary because he is a legend. Richard Harris. Straight over to Richard. He's going to do all poems from us today. I don't know which ones are going to be, so it makes it more fun. Take it away, mate. Hi, thank you. I thought I would do um, the title poem of uh, the first book, Awakening. Um, not only because I love it, but because an amazing poet called Genevieve Ray, uh, who is a really outstanding campaigner and artist and an all-round lovely woman, um, has recorded it. Um, and I find that very flattering that somebody of great stature outside of my work has taken one of my poems and made it live. And she's done an extraordinary version. Um so this is Awakening. The vast stone woke up from its sleep of a million years. It felt deep inside itself down to its inner core, deep into the earth, to the centre of the planet. It looked outwards, down the steep hillside at the world, which had changed since it had last been awake. Then the planet had been verdant, fresh, pure. Creatures of all kinds had existed, giant lumbering beasts, small animals, birds and insects, all surviving and leaving no imprint, no destruction, no sign of their lives. Now the stone, the spirit of the earth, viewed with dismay the destruction of the planet. Creatures on two legs walked, ran, existed. Behind them they left things, mess, litter, 
destruction. Translucent things were on the ground and in the oceans, things that looked as though they would be there for thousands of years. Violation of the planet everywhere. Grasslands covered, forests destroyed, smoke, pollution. Everywhere, so unnatural. The stone felt it should fight back and it knew how it should. It could cause a volcano. Create reaction the planet over. Destroy these creatures. Let the planet recover from them. But then it thought deep and went back to sleep, believing it could wake again in a million years and the destructive two legs would be gone, forgotten, having destroyed themselves completely. Great stuff, Richard, that one. Genevieve is absolutely um, stunning and when she reads that I'm I'm like a jelly Um, and I mention I'm versatile and do daft things so I'm going to do a daft one and this is from this is absolutely true it happened now I don't know whether I'm being sexist or not but I'm not in my house this is documentary true Um, and it's a, a tale of a conversation between a husband and wife and the husband is the voice of reason and it's called husband and wife talking oh my god our daughter's coming to stay and she's arriving today with her husband and kids oh my god we have to clean no we don't we have to clean and tidy away fill the fridge dairy free lactose free gluten free too fill the cupboards as well no we don't Oh, tidy everything on the table, change the lampshades, dust the well, everything. Put the dirty washing out of sight, only pure cotton sheets on every bed. No, we don't. Oh, put things in the shed, weed the flower bed, prune the hedge and mow the lawn. Again. Wash the kitchen floor, dust the TV, sweep the front path. It's clean. Oh, don't be a bore. We'll do it again. Hang blackout blinds, fill dishes with fresh fruit, bake a cake. We'll be fine. Vacuum all the floors, wash the kitchen cupboard doors. Should we paint the garden wall? They're coming to see us, not the house. Now I know who wins, so I'll shut up a grin. And then she arrived, emptied the car, dumped the travel for four, put the girls to bed, sat and relaxed and smiled and then she said it's lovely to see you both and sighed why isn't the white wine in the fridge and that happened in our house um, <laughs> and, um and, <laughs> but was it revolves reverse richard was it eileen pin of the voice of reason there was it you no, no, it was me. Uh, our, our garden wall is about 400 y- yards long. And in COVID, in lockdown, I, in that funny, strange, sunny spell we had in spring, um, I did paint the garden wall and it took me five days. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and she, thought, she, she had thought I would just whip a brush down it, you know, uh, in, in half an hour before they arrived. Little um, did she know, that's all I'm going to say. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't want your Eileen coming after me, people are wondering. So I'm going to say no comment. 
<laughs> well, I, 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 I wind people up when I perform it. I say, of course, the voice of reason was the man. And um, they're all muttering, particularly the women. And by the end of it, they're howling with laughter and agreeing and saying, yes, it's just like that in our house. Because you, know, you get a, a, a vi any visitor, really, but you know, certainly a relative or a daughter, then you really want everything to be like a show house, don't you? And we don't yeah. live in show houses. Um, no. So th this week, um, Melanie Safka, also known as Melanie, died. She had many hits and was a great singer-songwriter, a hero of Woodstock. And uh, I um, kind of borrowed one of her songs uh, in one of mine, and it's called Changed Times. And if the next book does come out, it, it, it is called Changed Times. Um, and it's just about how things are different. So with apologies to Melanie Safka... Look what they done to our land, Ma. Look what they done to our land. When I was 18, I left school, homeless, no place to go, no idea if there was any help, never heard of housing benefit, stayed with his sister for a while, could not live there forever, a newlywed couple with a child and a mortgage. Got a local paper, looked for jobs, there were loads. Things were different in 1970. I saw eight jobs I could do. Washing, cleaning, bar work. I had no experience of anything. I made eight phone calls, got eight appointments, got eight interviews. One for that afternoon. Another worker there knew me, vouched for me. When could I start? Any time. You'll take your coat off, lad. I was offered all eight jobs. I chose two. Could live quite well, got a bed sit, then shared a flat. Had to take care with money. If I was treated bad at work, not happy, told them to fuck right off. Started somewhere else Monday. How things change. Look what they done to our land bar. Look what they done to our land and let me make it clear it was, wasn't because I was brilliant or wonderful or magnetic or charismatic or anything like that there were so many jobs in 1970 you just walked into one and if you didn't like it you told them to go away or as I put it in my poem and um, you just got one for Monday there was no problem about getting a job and now in Withensy where I live if you get um a till job advertised at Aldi or Tesco, then you can get 300 applicants for it. You know, it, it, it's not me being special. It's just what they've done to our country, re removing all the manufacturing, destroying all so, so much. There you go. And yeah, I wrote quick, quick another... point to that, Richard, before we carry on, mate, because yeah, you did write what you're saying now. That there, people are wondering, obviously, about this supermarket in question. Uh, a guy I run a night with, who I'm not going to name, I went for a job recently in that supermarket in question. Had a three-hour interview, would you believe? And actually, um, got told at the interview, "Oh, you've passed the you've passed the interview, but we've got no jobs at the super this supermarket at the moment." Would you believe? Yeah, it's just Crazy. dreadful how you're treated. Some people say that the Tories are trying to bring us back to Victorian times and values. I don't believe that. I think that they're trying to take us back to medieval serfdom. 
Um, I think they, uh, you know, I mean, uh, now we have so many homeless people uh, on the streets. And it's, of course, not just the Tories. I mean, Tony Blair, uh, when he came to uh, power, said uh, that he would eradicate uh, homelessness. Of course, he did nothing about it. Um, and there's so many homeless now, at least in Victorian times, they had the dreadful iniquitous and evil uh, workhouses, but they did have rules over their heads. You know, um, uh, they, they're trying to take us beyond that, in my view. Spoiler. But there you go, that's me. You'll gather, that if, you, if you're a great fan of Mrs. Thatcher, please, I don't think you really want to read my book because you might be returning it to wh smith or something you know um, or take it to, or take it to a local charity shop yeah but i know what you mean yeah yeah, well, <laughs> yes. it, it might not please you and i do plan if i if they continue coming out that there are various sweary ranty um uh, sweary ranty angry poems and they'd make a good book um right so um i went to a workshop i didn't run it it was with a, a brilliant old poet called jim Higo, and we were talking lots about metaphors and similes and things like that um and um one of the metaphors that came to me um inspired me to write this piece and i quite like it um it's called differences the beard was long so long white and grisly hanging firm and six inches down from the chin. It separated and hung down in two parts, making the old man's visage seem long, so long, his face so old. He lay asleep on the grass bank, and a bird, a wren, landed. It pecked at the wiry hair, then, discontented, flapped its wings and tried to fly away. But to its distress, could not take off. Its tiny taloned feet caught fast, in the mishmash of the hair. The rock was covered in seaweed, tangled and messy, many varieties, some long, some bulbous, all slippery, wet and slimy. Onto it crawled the crab, small and hungry, looking for nibbles to eat. It found some food and was happy. Eating contented him. He no longer had to hunt. He just let the water lap over his shell and rested, occasionally moving slowly, then a wave lapped and he was covered with long weed, weed that tangled and trapped him. Neither could move, neither were free, neither had choice, neither were without fear. Endings can vary, they differ, and they are not fair. Perhaps it is fate, perhaps it is chance, with these two different stories, with two different ends. The old man stirred, not yet awake, felt something instinctively, Attached to his beard, he brushed it fiercely with his strong left hand. He crushed the tiny wren, who died in a second. The crab it struggled and was getting weak, losing hope and about to give up when a wave came crashing and it swept it away, letting it float to freedom and to live another day, a predator itself. These tales of entrapment had such different ends. We never know the future and we never know our end. So do remember to enjoy every day for something with the texture of that beard may enter your life or you mind you find yourself with a metaphorical rock. Whichever is yours or mine, make sure your last moments 
count. Oh, that's a good ending, that one, Richard. That is a really good ending. It shows um, you it shows the versatility of your work. You've read three completely different pieces out there today. Each well, I, I, I kind of deliberately did that. I didn't want to do the very rude Rorty ones, even though I had a swear word, didn't I? But I do um, naughty poems as well. And sometimes they're funny ones, or usually the naughty ones are funny ones. Um, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I surprise people that how I turn things around and it, it discomforts some people because they expect you to be um, a ranting poet or a political poet or a very funny one or just to do that one thing. And I, I can't do that because nice. I write from emotion um, and I, so I can be writing from anger or fear or happiness or joy or laughter Um occasionally people ask say oh will you write a poem um for me and i'll say well what about and somebody uh, asked me to write one about uh the battle of belly Wardy, which is part of eeps in the first world war and it's so desperately tragic i i not heard of it it's just one day within eeps and um having googled it i was sort of crying at the end so i could i wrote that poem and it won awards um but then somebody else, a very good friend, said, and he's really crackers about Taekwondo and Tai Chi and things. Well, of course, they mean nothing to me. And I, I don't want them to mean anything to me. So he said, you know, you're a poet. Will you write one for me? And I said, no, you should sit down because they, they move your emotions. He said, well, I'm not a poet. I only aren't until you try. But exactly. if you actually exactly. spilled out your emotions, you might have a good piece. But sorry. And I mean, uh, I'm, I've written about a lot of historical characters, you know, Anne Boleyn and uh, Eleanor Aquitaine, people like that. Um, and I'm very interested in that period so I can write about them. But I've never been that interested in the current royal family. And, you know, the various Queen Jubilees, the late Queen, um, I was asked to write nice, pretty pieces about her, and, I, and I, I couldn't think of anything to say, so I had to say, no, yeah, I'm not going to just sit down and churn out trite, something I don't mean, something that didn't come from inside of me, you know, so um, I had to sadly decline it. It wasn't because I disliked the Queen or, or anything like that. Um, it was... I really had no interest personally, and I'm sure other people do. And those people that were mad about her, uh, perhaps they might like to sit down and try and write something. Yeah, yeah, you get it. yeah, I agree, I agree completely, mate. So, right, conscious of the time for you, mate. Give us the big finale. I'm up to your fourth one now. The big finale. Yeah, the fourth piece. Oh, I thought I'd done for. Are we done for? Oh. Uh, Oh well, listen. I'm I'm it down. You probably have. I'll probably get mixed. I up. have. I've done four. <laughs> I'll edit it, mate. I'm going gaga. <laughs> well, hey, no, give me two seconds. Can't resolve it. I thought you'd done three, actually. Yeah, if you if you want me to, I can do good intentions, which yeah, go on, like. go on, yeah. Give us good intentions, mate. Wrap up then. <laughs> People can see I've lost count of right. time today. Yeah, give us a, give yeah. us one. Two days you're on call. Yeah, this is good intentions, which I'm asked for forever, and it's the only poem that I know perfectly well without reading because I no intention of learning all my poems. Um, but I've done this one so many sodding times that I just know it. So good intentions. 
I know my woman well. I'm able to buy for her just well. I know what jewellery she likes. That's courage, you say, yikes. So yesterday, I went into town and I did not buy a gown. No, I saw a blouse and a stole that matched. And it is my goal to try and please my beloved wife and be thoughtful throughout life. So I did what many men have not got the courage to do, but I looked at the sizes and I knew they'd fit my beloved one. So I did what I knew I should have done. I went inside that charity shop and did buy both of these great tops. Now, this was a great inconvenience to me as I could not now afford to buy the vegetables for tea. In fact, I'd have to make a second trip to the shop to get enough fresh food to chop so that we could have a tea that was good. But this I was quite prepared to do, looking forward to the praise and appreciation that I was due. I got home and showed them off proudly. She to me did exclaim loudly, oh my, just why did you buy these tops? They are complete flops. You should not have paid cash. That was rather daft and rash. Go on, tell me why, said I with a sigh. Well, last Friday, I donated them. You were with me that day when I gave them away. And last but not least of all, you have the gall to not have noticed I. And again, she did sigh. Have been wearing them for the past five years. Honestly, you could drive me to tears. All I could say was, oops, and wow, kind of remember them now. And when I uh, first performed that about eight years ago, I was at the Swanland Festival and every big city has a terribly Tory posh area and Swanland is north of Hull and it's terribly nice. Village green, ducks, swans, ponds. Um, and everyone who came uh, looked like they'd been manicured, pressed and ironed and were wearing posh clothes and came in Porsches, Jags, Ferraris, you know. Um, and when I got to the charity shop line, they howled with laughter and stomped the floor and clapped because none of them had ever been in a charity shop or if they had, they had ne never admitted it. And um, it was like a professional performer because I had to wait for 25 seconds before I could speak again and of course you had to remember where you were in the poem and the rhythm of it um, and at the end of it uh, a terribly well-dressed Natalie 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 dressed little man uh, came up to me and said hello and I looked at him in his Armani suit and Valentino tie uh, I actually have a very similar story to your charity shop poem I said oh do you he said yes I spent £847 buying my wife a handbag and she did not like it. And I could only say, well, um, that's very similar to me buying carrots for four quid, you know. Um, and um, so that's kind of almost become part of the performance. It was just so funny that this little man compared his Hermes handbag to my carrots, you know. But uh, there you go. Um, and I get, I mean, I go in places and they shout, ah, charity shop, please, charity shop. <laughs> and so, I, <laughs> so I do that one. Um, Brilliant. Oh, great stuff, Richard. Pleasure today, mate. Really enjoyed it today, my friend. As I always, always enjoy talking to you, Andy. Yes. It's been a pleasure, mate. We'll chat more off mic, people are wondering, because I know what me and Richard like when we get talking. So, so yes. I want to thank Richard again. You can get his books from where he said before, Amazon, all the usual places, but Stairwell, Stairwell, Stairwell books, books of York. In particular, yes. Right. So, right. Thank you, Richard. Okie dokie, people. As Don Callis says at AEW Wrestling, 
stay safe and stay over. See you all next time. Spoken, mate.